Well, good evening, everybody. I'm glad that you came back tonight, and I'm excited about what God's going to do. How many of you know God can do more than I could ever do? Uh, and so we, we definitely want utterance, and I, I want to be able to speak freely, and that's wonderful. But uh, what's even better than that is when God's able to speak to our hearts and when God's able to minister to us. And I, I really do sense that we'll end tonight with a time of ministry, and I'm excited about that uh, to just see what God wants to do there in your life. And um, I, I really feel it's a night of setting captives of people who've been wrestling with some things, um, you know, and, and everything from physical infirmities to even addictions and things. And, you know, sometimes addiction comes and manifests in different ways. And I, I even had it on my heart tonight, like e eating disorders and, and those kinds of things. And so don't worry, we won't like call you out specifically because God's not in the business of shame. So it'll be a general line of things that we just kind of lay hands on. But how many of you know God can do in a moment what man has struggled with for a lifetime? Oh, come on. I said, how many of you know God can do in a moment what man has struggled with for a lifetime? And, and wherever there is bondage, the enemy is there, and God can just set captives free. Um, and so I'm excited about that. But I, I feel, once again, uh, on assignment to cover something specific tonight. And uh, I want to talk about forgiveness. And so open up your Bibles, if you brought them, to the book of Luke. Uh, and we're going to look at Luke chapter 6. In verse number 35, it'll be our golden text for tonight. And while you're turning, I'll pray. Father, we love you. We honor you. And Father, I'm so thankful for your Holy Spirit. And we just invite him into this place. I invite him into my stories. Um, interrupt me, Father, anything that you want to say, say. Anything that you want to do, do. It will not offend me or upset me if you completely rewrite the message as I am speaking it. We are yours to command. And Father, I thank you that you set captives free and you bring deliverance and freedom to your sons and your daughters. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, John says hello, by the way. How many of you enjoy John? John R. John Ramek. I know we have the other John, but in kids' ministry, John R., who is with you uh, on Sunday. John is one of my best friends. Uh, he actually lived with me for an extended period of time, uh, him and Carolina, and that was a joy. Um, John made me a better father with all of the joy he carried around the house. I'm like, you will not have more fun with my children than I do. Um, and so he called me up to a whole nother level. But uh, John's a dear friend and just such a wonderful minister. And we both feel exceptionally honored to, to be here in Iowa with you and uh, believing that, you know, all that has happened over the last couple of days will be something that marks a turning point. And in God, there are turning points. Um, sometimes decades go by and, and nothing happens. Um, but sometimes there are moments where decades happen. And, and there can be moments of the spirit where decades come out of that. And um, I, who knows, maybe we can have one tonight. Amen. Uh, so Luke 6, verse 35, Jesus is teaching here, and he, he makes a statement. It's a real simple verse, but let's look at it. But love your enemies and do good, lend 
expecting nothing from them. Notice the connection between loving your enemies and expecting nothing from them. That you are giving and it's not even being reciprocated. But while there's something not coming from them, there is something that's coming from him. And watch this. And your reward will be great. And you will be the sons of the Most High, for he himself is kind to the ungrateful and even evil men. Sometimes you love people who are your enemies. They give you nothing in return, and they're even ungrateful for the sacrifice that you're making on their behalf. You receive nothing from them, but it doesn't mean you didn't receive anything. Because God has designed a reward from loving an enemy, and listen to me, that you can't get any other way. Love your enemies, and your reward will be great. Now, how many of you think uh, Jesus doesn't exaggerate? Like, I've met some people who exaggerate. You ever met people who just use really big adjectives? And it's like, it was good, but it wasn't that good. Like, it wasn't amazingly awesome and wonderful all at the same time. Like, it was decent. Um, like, um, we exaggerate, but how many of you know Jesus does not? And when Jesus says, your reward will be great, Now, think about what your Lord is telling you. Your reward will be great, he says. Well, how? From loving your enemy, expecting nothing in return from them. Uh, so, my father passed away when I was 17 years old. My father and mother started um, our church in 1980, fresh out of Bible school. Uh, my father was a drug addict. And he got born again at a James Robinson crusade in 1977. Uh, and for the longest time, that was my passcode to everything until I told that one day. And I'm like, I think I need to change my passcode now because I just took over my father. So 1977, the, day, the year he got born again, that was like the golden ticket. You could, you could have that code and get in anything you wanted to of my father's uh, because that was such a milestone for him. Um, in that one night, he got born again and found freedom. He never did drugs again. Um, and how many of you think even tonight we could find freedom and ne never wrestle with it ever again? Just one night where decades happen and find freedom. And that's what happened to him that night. And long story uh, short, he gave his life to Jesus, met my mom at a, a Christian bookstore, uh, found out about a spirit-filled life and the power of God, went to Bible school, came back, started a church with three people. The next Sunday, he had no people, <laughs> and including his family, who was very denominational at the time. Uh, they came around. Um, but out of that, the church grew. The, the wind of God's spirit got on it. And it, it grew over the course of the 80s and the 90s to over 1,000 people and reaching the Jackson Metro. I'm from Jackson, Mississippi, if this is your first night. 
and um, just wonderful. And I grew up in that household, and I never wanted to be in ministry. <laughs> like, I, I just knew. I heard John say it. And I'm like, you stole that from me, because John listens to me preach. And genuinely, what I wanted to be when I grew up is rich. Like, that's, I, I say that all the time. I watched Robin Leach, Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yes, you understand. So, like, I would watch this show, and I'm like, I don't care how I get there. I just want to be on that show. I want Robin Robin Leach interviewing me and I'm like, here's my yacht, here's my car, you know, all those types of things. And so um, in my mind, like ministry was not going to be a way to get there. Uh, and so uh, I'm like any other way. Uh, but as I began to walk with the Lord, my desires began to shift and they do. And I stopped wanting that and I just wanted to be used. And when I was 13 years old, we had a lady in our church by the name of Mary Frances Verarlo. And she was like this prophetess who like scared me, like scared me bad. And I didn't realize how scared I was until um, I had a friend there, she was a girl, and she was dating somebody she didn't need to be dating. And uh, out of that, she hadn't told her parents, and I knew this because I was, you're in a relationship you should not be in, and your parents don't know about it. And I'm like, I repent, God, of everything right now. Right now, before you, I, this lady is legit, uh, and out of, I repent. Uh, and so that afternoon, um, we go to lunch. We went to this restaurant called Ralph and Cuckoo's. It was like, you know, traditional New Orleans-style seafood. And she picks up a fork and she points it in my face and she's like I see you and I just melt like and she when I when she says I see you it's like I see you and the fork is like in my face I'm like lady like take it away from my eye like all of these kinds of things but in my heart I'm like I repent for the CDs underneath my bed I repent for that time I thought about smoking a cigarette like I repent of everything in my life my parents are here this is not going to end well and she's like I see you and I see you driving a string of U-Hauls from the property you're at now to another property across town by the airport. And at that time, uh, we were not interested at all as a church of, of acquiring property by the airport. The property that we had was uh, where we saw ourselves being for the long run. We had all the plans to like take that sanctuary and expand it. You'd knock out a wall and you could double it, that kind of thing. And it so confused me because I'm like, one, I can't drive. Uh, two, why am I driving a U-Haul? Three, why am I the only one that you, you see? Where's my mom? Where's my dad? Um, none of this makes sense. And so it's one of those words that like you don't understand, but yet it resonated all at the same time. And I left from, from that lunch, and I never thought about it again until April 17, 2001. And I'm a senior in high school, and I'm sitting in science class, and I know my father has died. I know it. And in the same moment of knowing his spirit had left the earth, that prophecy came into my heart. And I, I saw what she saw. And there's a knock on the door, and it's the lady from the front desk, and she says, I need to see Joel Sims. And we're walking up the hall, and she's crying. And the hospital that my father is being taken to by ambulance was across the, the street from my high school. So I was the first one there. I saw them will him in. 
Uh, he was 44 years old. I saw him that morning for breakfast, and he died that day of a massive heart attack. M my mom was in the room when they came in. My uncle was a surgeon, so they let him tell us the news, and I never will forget him taking off the mask and telling us we did all we could do, and my mom fainted. Um, I caught her before she could hit the floor. And my life at that moment began to take on um, an element of the supernatural that's hard for me to explain for people who don't know it. Um, there was a peace that passes all understanding, and you've heard that quoted, but like I felt that for six months. I could not worry for six months. It passed all understanding. And I had to have it, because if I had made any other choice in the span of that six months, I don't know if I would be here right now. But it was like for six months, I knew the will of God like I knew my name. And I could not worry or fear about anything. And the, the way it was so supernatural is sometimes things are so supernatural and you don't realize it until they lift. And then when it lifted, I'm like, what is all this grief I'm feeling? <laughs> and then and these types of things that I had to, you know, be pastured through. But on the way to the funeral, um, the Lord spoke to me audibly. Now, when I say audibly, I don't mean like in my heart or like um, an authoritative voice on the inside. I mean like literally turn around in the car audibly, like it came from the outside. It's the only time it's ever happened in my life. And the Lord said, you will be the next full-time pastor of Word of Life Church. You will have double the anointing of your father. Weeping will endure for a night, and it did. But joy will come in the morning. You've got to understand seasons. Sometimes there are nights. Weeping will endure for a night. But joy comes in the morning. Um, and so I get to the, I, I turn around in the car. I'm like, where did that come from? And I, what, I will be the next. I get to the funeral. Uh, Brother Kenneth E. Hagen was doing the officiating uh, of the service. And he's in the back room. And I was petrified of Brother Hagen for the same reason I was petrified of Mary Fran. Of, I'm like, he sees me. <laughs> and all of those kinds of things. So I have no idea why I did what I did, except it was the Spirit of God. But I asked him to pray for me. And him and Miss Aretha got up and took me to my father's office. I shut the door. They sat down on the sofa. He grabbed my hand. I hit my knees, and he began to prophesy over me. And he said to me the exact same thing that God said to me in the car you will be the next full-time pastor of Word of Life Church. You will have double the anointing of your father. Weeping will endure for a night, but joy will come in the morning. We get to the funeral. Brother Hagen, as well as Brother Moore, Keith Moore, and um, Brother Hagen's son, Kenneth Hagen Jr., all did the officiating of the funeral. And Brother Hagen got up and said, and now I'm gonna speak by the Spirit, and said what God had already said to me in the car and said uh, what he had already said to me in the office. And so God speaks three times, and somebody says, man, I wish I would get a word like that. I, I once heard somebody say, anytime God speaks to you like that, it's for one of two reasons. Either one, he's been trying to deal with your heart and you haven't been paying attention, so he had to arrest your attention with something coming from the outside. Or secondly, you're about to go through a storm that is so bad that if God did not speak to you that way, you would question if you heard from God. 
So don't always think a public word is like a great, uh, <laughs> great thing. Uh, so anyway, um, my life went through a storm. It was the second reason for me. Of, um, I went to uh, Bible school, and at Bible school, I'm filled with hope of, and expectation of what life could be. And I don't know if you've ever felt that. But it wasn't even like blind hope or like hope based in nothing. It was genuinely hope based in the promise of God, that God's going to be with me. I'm going to get back. I'm going to start pastoring this church. I've doubled the anointing of my father. People are going to like me. And the church is going to grow. And everybody's going to love it. We're going to build that. At, in between that time and the prophecy, sure enough, my father did buy land by the airport, cleared it out put the parking lot in, had a building pad ready. No building, but ready to build on. And then he passes away. Um, so just devastated so many people. Like for my mom, this was the only man she had ever kissed. Like he did everything. He pumped her gas. He, he paid all the bills, wrote the checks. Like she had to learn a whole new way to live. And so there is like all of this devastation, but in the middle of this, like the way it felt to, to me once that piece left, it was like you had a, a glass vase and you set it on this table and someone just came and kicked the table out from underneath it and the, the, the vase just hit the floor and shattered. Like that's how I felt, that's how life felt. But in the middle of that night, there's hope in my soul that like when this changes, like prophecy is going to be played out. We'll get a string of U-Hauls. We're going to build a building. And like all of this is going to happen. I'll have double the anointing. Uh, the night will, will end quickly and it'll be great. And it's the will of the Lord. I mean, he's spoken it to me and I can't deny it. And so uh, long story longer. <laughs> this is going to be the predominant part of the message. Just stick with me. I'm so out of this. Um, um, I, I come back uh, from school my summer uh, of my first year, and I'm preaching, and I'm terrible. My, my fourth message, I was so nervous, I forgot to tell the people to be seated, and they stood the whole message, and I didn't even know it. Like, that's how bad it was. Uh, so, uh, not good, uh, but still hopeful. I'm like, that's what second year is for. Is they're going to, you know, you do a preaching lab and I'll figure all this out there. Um, and I go back to school and the Lord deals with my heart to come back and pastor. And so in October of my second year, I came back and I took over the church and it fell apart. Um, under my exceptional leadership, uh, it went from a thousand to four hundred in months, and every significant family in the church left. My associate pastors left. They started other churches. It broke me, and you know, I, I don't know if, if some of you can relate to this, but the pain of failure was just as bad, if not worse, than any other pain I'd ever felt. Like, I, I'm literally trying everything I know to do to be obedient to the word of the Lord, but I am failing. And I can't understand it, and I would complain to God all the time because I'm like, this was not my idea. You spoke to me on the way to the funeral and you told me I would be the next pastor. Like in, in my mind, it would make sense to have someone else pastor. I am 19 years old pastoring. 
Like, none of this makes sense to anybody, including me. Um, and out of this, like, I'm trying to be obedient. I had gotten, gotten rid of my television. I had gotten rid of my video games. I literally set it out on the side of the road for the garbage men to collect. I watched them. They didn't even throw it away. They took the TV and the video game system and put it in the cab of the, the truck. I'm like, I'll miss you. I'm like that kind of thing. But like, that's how serious I was. I'm like, I'm going to seek the Lord and I'm going to pray. And every book my father read over his whole life, I'm going to read it this year. I will not fail. Uh, and so I'm reading all these books. I'm studying. I'm, I'm living by myself. Like, it's, it's a mess. And it's not working. No matter what I'm doing, I'm not seeing any progress. And, and I want to emphasize something that I have already said. I said it last night. Is sometimes I'm, I'm rebuking and binding. I'm, I'm standing on God's word. I'm warring a good warfare with the prophecies that have been spoken over me, and it is not changing. And there is a grace that you can walk in that you don't know how strong it is until you're in it. But there is also a resistance that you don't know you're in until you take a moment to look up and realize what is actually going on in your life. And God will resist the proud. And how much progress do you think you're gonna make if God is resisting you? He resists the proud, but gives grace unto the humble. Humble yourself therefore under the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt you in due time. Now, I feel like for many of you, it's a due time of things changing, of some of the things you've been praying for, for you to see. It's due time. But in due time, there must be a humility of heart that comes and bends itself to the will of God. And for many of us, it's not issues of the flesh, it is issues of the heart. And one night, I'm, I'm on my bathroom floor, and I'm crying, like ugly crying, because I'm like, I'm a failure, and everything my father built and mother, and mother built in 20 years, I'm tearing apart in four months. Like, this is awful, Lord. No one likes me. Like, I can't preach. I don't know how to write a message. I'm trying my best, and all of these types of things. So I wrote out a list of people I could give the church to, and basically it was every member of the Rama Singers and Band. It was just, for, for whatever reason, it was like all the people, I'm like, he could preach, and she could sing it'll work uh, he plays a trumpet even like all, all of those kinds of things I'm like just you know line it up hand it over uh, you know for me to restart my life not a big deal I was a barista making a quarter above minimum wage before this job uh, so I'll start over and I can go live my life and someone else can do this and all of these other people can have jobs because I'm not going to let these people not be paid because it was getting to that point of I couldn't pay people we were losing money and the pressure of that at 19. So I'm, I'm, I have this list and I'm like, God, I need you. And I didn't realize what I was doing, but it was a moment of humility. I had reached, finally, I had reached the end of myself. 
where there was nothing left but dependency upon God. I, I told a little bit of the story to the staff today. And I, I told them, you know, spiritual growth is the opposite of physical growth. Um, I have um, three kids. My oldest will be 17 in a few days, and I cannot even fathom that. Like, how in the world I have a 17-year-old blows my mind. Uh, but I have a 17-year-old, a 15-year-old, and a 10-year-old. And I thank God for the day of growth when they can, like, change their own selves. Like, I'm not having to do that. And I'm not having to feed them. Like, I'm at a stage now. It's a beautiful stage. Get this. This is awesome. Some of you parents, you have so much to look forward to. They are actually paying for things now. Like, literally, pay, they have a job. And they are paying for their own food some, sometimes. Not all the time. But occasionally. It's not coming out of my pocket. It's coming out of there. It's a beautiful thing because the more you grow physically the more independent you get but the more you grow spiritually the more dependent you get that apart from him you really can do nothing And I didn't realize how much pride I was operating in in that moment that was broken that night where it's, I came to the end of myself. I literally went to, to sleep on the floor and I woke up the next morning and it was like I could hear from God like I'm talking to you in my heart. And he began to talk to me and the first thing he talked to me about was he said, I want you to forgive your uncle. And I'm like, what's my uncle have to do with any of this? And you look at it in the natural and like you're, for me, like I'm struggling on my job. I'm not seeing any results. I'm working hard, but experiencing nothing. And it's my uncle. Because in the natural, it's like I would never think to address that. Like I'd preach more or study more or work harder or change something naturally. And it's something spiritual. Love your enemies. Expect nothing in return. Your reward will be great. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. What's that mean? Do it his way. And he will exalt you in due time. So I, I just keep praying. And every time I'm praying about the church, the Lord's talking to me about my uncle. Now, backstory in the story. When my father got born again, uh, he hired his family when they started coming to the church to be on staff with him. And we were thick as thieves. Like, we'll, we'll help you bury the body. Anybody got family and friends like that? It's like, we are in this together. Um, my uncle taught me how to fish. My uncle taught me how to hunt. Um, my uncle taught me how to, you know, do a four, uh, drive a four-wheeler. He taught me how to put, you know, my sunflower seeds in the Pepsi. Like, all the important stuff. Um, you know, why the banana moon pie is the best one. Like, all of those kinds of things that you need to know. Uh, and so, just spent so much of my childhood with him. For my grandparents, I spent more time at their house than even my own. My father and mother traveled a lot, and so my grandparents kept me. My grandmother was my father's assistant, so we're always at her house. And just thick as thieves. Until we weren't. And 
my uncle worked for my father. He hired him. He hired him first as a youth, pa youth pastor, then became the singles pastor, and then an associate pastor. And my uncle would preach a lot for my father. And um, there were points of disagreement with my father and my uncle about some of the things that he would communicate. And those points, they don't matter, but it was just one of those things. And of course, like when you have disunity, a lot of times it's just easier to not talk to each other than it is to address the problem. And this is actually anti-scripture because Jesus literally taught us when your brother offends you, what should you do? You should go to him. And what, what should you do when you go to him? You should talk honestly about it. And, and you should address that because offense not dealt with will be nourished. And if you nourish your resentment, you go the way of Cain. And so out of this, it's just not being talked about. So my father, you know, he's just made a decision. I'm not going to let him preach. But my uncle's like, not really sure why. And then the, the ministry's go, growing. So my father's like, you know, I need to hire a businessman who can help, you know, run it. And he hired an, basically an executive pastor. And at that point, the, the family kind of ran everything. And my father's like, well, actually now everybody who's not me is going to report to this guy. And that did not go over well. Um, the family did not care for that. And so my uncle is now feeling like I'm more restricted on the job than ever. I'm answering to someone other than my brother, and I'm not getting opportunities. And to be honest, my uncle was a very anointed preacher. And so out of this, this is all playing out. Of course, I don't see any of this. I'm like 13. So, you know, you're kind of oblivious. It's like, let's eat a moon pie, like all of these kinds of things. It's just so beyond the scope of, of you know, what your world is at that moment. Um, but then my uncle left the church and started another one. And our church's name was Word of Life, and he named his New Life. And it was in the same town and about 30% of our church members went with him, including my grandmother and my grandfather. And watching it from my, my, my view, it's like these people we were so close with, now I kid you not, if they were in a restaurant and we walked in the restaurant and saw them, we walked out of the restaurant. To give you an idea of how contentious this was, at my father's funeral, my uncle was not allowed in it. And my grandfather and my grandmother did not get to come to the viewing. Satan hates family because God is the father and his family. So from the, the day of Adam and Eve, he seeks to divide husband from wife, son against son, father against son, mother against daughter, anything he can to destroy the family unit. Why? Because God's heart is family. And so out of this, my father's wrestling with all these things in the process of, of this. And he keeps pastoring the church. My, my uncle's church grows. They get a new building. They start in this little building. They get a new building. 
Um, my father buys land. He's going to buy, uh, build a building. And then he dies. And my mom moves to Birmingham, Alabama. And I'm pastoring. And I had not seen my uncle since the day of the funeral when he was standing outside of the church. And I can remember going in the processional and seeing him on the side of the road. And that was the last time I saw him. I'm pastoring the church and I'm, I'm, I'm seeing all these things. Like I'm going through my dad's office drawer and I, I pull it out and I can see these notes that they would exchange to each other of like, I'm guessing my father sent him some at this point. I later talked to my uncle and found out he did, but it's like, I, I, all I could think of is why are you keeping these letters? Like what was in them? I'm like, why would you want to read that ever again? And I said something like five minutes ago that I think is critically important for you to understand. Cain nourished his resentment. And when you are hurt and wounded, you want a lot of times your flesh does for that pain to be nourished. You want people to agree with it. You want people to understand it and validate it. Here's what they did to me. I want you to know about it so you can validate it. That you can come in and agree with it. And it gets stronger in the both of us. And the more we talk about it, the stronger and the deeper it gets. And it embeds something in our heart because when you whatever you nourish grows. You nourish a plant, it'll grow. Um, you nourish a dog, it'll grow. You nour nourish your body, it will grow. And you nourish resentment, you nourish pain, it'll change you from the inside out. Because strife is the manifest presence of the devil. God is love. And when the devil is present in life, it divides brother from brother, person from person, thing from thing. And if it can't separate them physically, it'll settle for separating them spiritually. Love your enemies. Expect nothing in return. Your reward will be great. So all of this is going on. And honestly, I didn't have that big of resentment to my, my uncle or my grandmother. I could remember on, on like Christmas Eve, sitting at the top of the steps and hearing my, my father cry because all he wanted to do was go see his mom. And I'm, I'm seeing all this as a child, but not fully really understanding it because for me, it wasn't my fight and I didn't understand why it was such a big deal it's like both of you are preachers, everybody can see that. And then not only that, but like when my father had this happen, the church regrew and was bigger than before my uncle left. How many of you know God's big enough to bless both? How many of you know Jacob and Esau saw God is big enough to bless both? You remember when Jacob came back to, to reunite with Esau? Jacob's like thinking, I got to give Esau all this stuff that I took from him. And Esau's like, I'm good. 
I don't need any of this. And they weep because they haven't seen each other's kids. He's like, you have kids? And they discovered something. God is big enough to bless both. It's not either or. And so, like, I'm watching this as a kid, and it doesn't really make sense. But in one sense, it, it is my battle because it's still there. And so I hadn't talked to my grandmother in years. And the Lord's like, I want you to forgive your uncle. And I'm like, I'll call my grandmother. And so I call, I get her number, and I call her. And she's shocked to hear from me. And I'm like, can I take you to lunch? And so we went to O'Charlie's. Y'all have O'Charlie's here? O'Charlie, no. I'm, don't, you're not missing anything. So, so anyway, it shut down because the service was terrible. Um, and, you know, in a lot of places. But anyway, uh, so we go to O'Charlie's. And we're there, and I'm seeing my grandmother, and it's so awkward at first, and then we start to talk. She starts to cry, I start to cry. All these lies that the enemy had sown into her heart about what she thought I thought about her. All of the lies that the enemy had sown into my heart about what she thought about us. We just talked. And we forgave each other. And it was everything the kingdom of God should be. And I got in the car, and have you ever had one of those spiritual moments? Maybe it's after the first time you tithe. Have, like, have you ever felt really good about yourself? It's like, I did that thing. And you're there, and you feel really good. And it's like, I gave it. I did it. And I felt really good about myself. I'm like, I forgave. I, I'm, I went the way of Christ. I actually made the first step. Like, I'm feeling good. And I'm in the car, and I'm driving. And the Holy Spirit speaks to me, and he says, your grandmother is not your uncle. <laughs> And, and I'm like, buzzkill? Like, okay, I get the point, but still, like, I felt really good about myself just then. So I called my grandmother, and I, I told her, I'm like, and I'd like to meet with my uncle, too. And so we go to O'Charlie's a couple of days later, and we're sitting there, and it is awkward. And I tell him, I said, I, I want you to know that I love you. You taught me how to fish. You taught me how to hunt. You taught me how to put bottle rockets in Roman candles and, and fire them like a weapon at people. <laughs> Some of my best memories were with you growing up and I don't know all that happened, but I want you to know but I'm sorry. I'm sorry that the last time I saw you was on the side of the road at my father's funeral. And I don't understand how that can happen. But on behalf of, of me and my family, I ask for your forgiveness. And on that day, I got nothing in return. One of the things that God does for us, and that if you have something like this in your life, you're going to have to do too, is confirm your love for people. And it doesn't mean that you put yourself in a position to be hurt, but it, it does mean that they know that you love them.
And so I would regularly talk to my uncle, call him, text him. He went through his own trauma. And I won't go into all the details of that, but we became friends. He passed away when he was 56. I was the only person by his bedside. I preached his funeral. Ever since that day, our church has never stopped growing. The Lord has given us multiple buildings. We have over 8,000 members. I don't say this to brag. We've seen millions go through us to world missions. Go through us to world missions. I've traveled the world. My family, if you could meet my wife, she is truly my better half. But it is sweet and it is pure. And it is everything family should be. My kids love Jesus. My daughter preached for the first time in youth a couple of weeks ago. And your reward will be great. Every one of those prophecies, every one of those visions, they come true. And somebody says, well, it's because you got better preaching. Well, I, I did remember to tell you to be seated, like you're not standing right now. So in that sense, there's improvement. But you know what it is? It's the wonderful grace of God. And, and I don't know who hurt you, and I don't know what that hurt looks like, and I know that hurts can be so personal. And they can be so close. But I know when you go the way of Jesus, of loving enemies, there's always promotion on the other side. The final act of our Lord was forgiveness. The final act of David before he became king, forgiveness. The final act of Joseph before he got into Goshen, forgiveness. And it is one of the, the hardest things you may have to do because oftentimes the pain of the healing is greater than the pain of the hurt. Because when you are loving an enemy who may not love you back, it rubs against your soul. And so what they did hurt you, but the pain of the healing many times is worse. But it is worth it. For your reward will be great. My grandmother, in all of this, um, her husband passed away, both her sons passed away, so me and my wife became her caregivers. Uh, she's 90. 
uh, she has dementia and we care for her we take care of her and um, I was going through her house the other day because we had to sell it to help pay for medical things and that kind of thing and you know it just made sense and so we're cleaning it out and I found a letter in it that my father wrote uh, his father and um, I just want to read it to you I wrote it in these notes Uh, it was, my father had a ministry called the Anointed Word. It was his personal ministry. And he wrote it on a card that was the, is called the Anointed Word. And he sealed it in an envelope. And I thought, when I opened it, I'm like, that's weird, it's my dad's. And I'm like, I think, I think, I thought he started that after, this, and it was, he started it after their separation, because in it, it was a note to him for Father's Day. I'm like, that's kind of weird to write a Father's Day note on that. And he explains it. He says, forgive this, um, forgive me for sending this type of card. It's what I found here when I was praying for you. Happy Father's Day. I'm sorry for the lack of Father's Day cards this year. I just couldn't find one to say what was on my heart. So much has happened that has hurt our relationship. And I'm doing my best to bear no wrong feelings in my heart towards you. It's too bad we can't undo some of the things of life. Or I would ask God for a do-over for you and I. Please don't feel like I don't love you because I oftentimes find myself unconsciously praying for you. It's very uncomfortable for me to be around you still, but maybe that's just me being protective of my feelings. One day, we will all be in heaven And we will see how small all these things really are. Until then, know I love you, your son. That line, one day, we'll all be in heaven. And we'll see how small these things really are. Maybe you feel that way, like if you could go back and do it again, you'd ask for a do-over. But one of the things that you can't control is the past, but you can control right now. And you can control what happens forward. And I promise you by the Spirit of God and the Word of God, when you make a decision to love like you've never been hurt an enemy, and you make a decision to reconcile 
you will see the hand of God do something in your life that you could never do for yourself. Your reward will be great. And so let's pray tonight. And I'll ask the, maybe the band to come back up. Father, we love you. And I ask of you, Lord, to give us the courage to love like we've never been hurt. To forgive anyone for anything. Just, I hear this just in my heart, just Mark 11, 22 through 25. Have faith in God. For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that what he says will come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Whatsoever things you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. And when you stand praying, forgive. For this is the time and this is the season that mountains will move in front of you. And this is the day and this is the hour that dreams will come true for you. That the things you've been praying for, for you and for others, begin to bear fruit because the hindrance of your heart is removed. Replacing a heart of stone with a heart of flesh, the Lord is. A heart that can feel again. For the very pain that hurts you is the very thing that has robbed life from you. Their wound has made you harden, not just to them, but to others around you, and it's cost you. But it will persist no further. For the Lord tonight is taking that heart and he is softening it and bringing in a spirit of forgiveness, a spirit of repentance, a spirit of humility. And you will see that softness of heart will not only open up things for you, but even open up others around you, that you'll sense their love for you more and more joy will come into your life because of it. For that hurt has not just affected your relationship with the one who hurt you, 
but it's been affecting your relationship with many more. But no more. <laughs> no more. In the name of Jesus. Just say this with me if you want to tonight. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, tonight, from the depths of my heart, I forgive. From the depths of my heart, I forgive anyone for anything. No longer, no longer will my heart carry the past. It will no longer carry the hurt. It will no longer carry the wound. I forgive you. In the name of Jesus, I forgive you. Hallelujah. And Father, tonight, just say this with me if you want to, too. Just say, Father, tonight, I forgive myself. I will not carry shame for what has happened. I will not hold myself prisoner any longer. I'm reminded of a story Brother Hagin told. He said years ago he was preaching in this church, talking about the love of God, quoting 1 John. And he said, you know, if you carry hate and bitterness in your heart, it's akin to, you know, being a murderer, the book of 1 John said. And so he's quoting that. And he said the pastor's wife came up to him at the end of the service. And he said in the message, he said, and that includes your mother-in-law. Just joking. And he said that the pastor's wife came up to him at the end of the service. <laughs> and she said, I'm confused about what you're saying, that the life of God can't dwell in someone who's walking in hate. And he said, that's right, sister. He said, I didn't say that. The book of 1 John said that. He said, what's your problem? She said, I hate my mother-in-law. It's the pastor's wife. I hate my mother-in-law. How many of you know we all have issues? Uh, so out of that, uh, he said, now, sister, I want you to just real, real slowly just say that. Say, I hate my mother-in-law. And when you do, look to the inside. And she said, I hate my mother-in-law. He said, no, I said, say it slowly and look to the inside. I want you to say, I hate my mother-in-law. And when you say it, check the inside. And so she said it, I hate my mother-in-law. And she said, oh. I said, what do you mean by that? She said, I, I sense that. He said, what? She said, I sense a scratching. He said, well, that's the love of God in you, sister. The love of God has been shed abroad in your heart. That's the love of God trying to arrest your attention. That in your heart, you don't hate her. You love her with the love of Jesus. But you got to get your mouth in agreement with your heart. And so she came and made a decision. She would love her mother-in-law. And she came and made things right. Long story short. She came to Brother Hagen and she said, I made things right with my mother-in-law and that kind of thing. And they were rejoicing. And she said, we want you to come eat at her house. And so they go to eat at the house and that kind of thing, you know, after one of the services. 
while they're there, this lady's daughter has a seizure and begins to fall on the floor. And apparently this happened a lot, but this one was bad. And of course, when that happens, you sense everybody in the room, especially if you're not familiar with it, is like, we need to do something. And so Brother Hagin said he stood up from the, the table, you know, kind of pushed back from it. And he said when he did, the Holy Spirit arrested him. And he said, I want you to tell that woman to get over her daughter and speak to that situation and say, Satan, take your hands off my daughter. I'm walking in love now. Take your hands off my daughter. And so he told the woman that. He said, the Lord said, stand before your daughter and say, Satan, I'm walking in love now. Take your hands off my daughter. She went over there and did that, and immediately the seizure stopped. Glory to God. I'm walking in love now. Why don't you say that? Say, I'm walking in love now. Get a little sass to you. Say, I'm walking in love now. We are. She said, Brother Hagan said years later, he said he was preaching at another place, and this lady come, came up to him, and she said, Brother Hagan. He said, hello. She said, you don't remember who I am, do you? He said, refresh my memory. And she said, told him who she was. And she, she, she said, and this is my daughter. She had grown up. She said, since that moment, she's never had a seizure. And when we were praying just then, I sensed for so many of you, freedom is coming into your life. That tonight things are changing in your life for the good because you are walking in love now and you are not going to let the enemy take this from you. Freedom is coming to this place. Amen. 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 Let's stand to our feet. And if you would like, if it's okay, I'd like to pray for you and lay hands on you. If you would like freedom for something, maybe there's been something you've been wrestling with. It could be an addiction. It could be something going on in your life or your family that you would just like a blessing over or a blessing in. Uh, it could be sickness or disease. It could be you just need a breakthrough for something. It could be maybe you are wrestling with an eating disorder, um, bulimia. The, that was the specific eating disorder that was on my heart when we were worshiping tonight. I don't care what it may be, but whatever it is, it, it ends tonight in Jesus' name. That God's power sets free the captive physically, mentally, spiritually. That there is freedom in this house. Amen. Uh, so just come down. If that's you, you can just come down to the, the front here. Um, and somebody go first. Uh, there's no shame in any of this. Uh, God wants to bring freedom to his people. Or your spunk. I like the courage. Just kind of stand up in a line, if you will. Just all across the altar. the Lord. If you're not familiar with that, it's just a sign of surrender. 
Father, we come before you tonight and we just thank you in Jesus' name. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And Father, I thank you. Freedom comes to your people tonight. Every man, every woman, every boy, every girl, freedom comes to your people. Father, the anointing of the Lord Jesus destroys every single yoke of bondage. And so, Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus. Freedom is coming tonight. In the name of Jesus, freedom is coming tonight.
little bit more of just something we're supposed to do. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Let's just lift up a shout of praise tonight. Father, we just love you. Hallelujah. Father, we bless your name. We thank you for freedom and a sound of freedom in this place, Lord Jesus. The past is over. It is over. And the victory is ours. The war is over. And the victory, it is ours in Jesus' name. We rejoice in our victory. We give you praise for what you're doing in our families. Father, we thank you. You have our sons. You have our daughters. You have our situations. And Father, there is a lifting of the power of your spirit. In the name of Jesus. Never the same in Jesus' name. Never the same in Jesus' name. Never the same in Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus. that awesome? I mean, it's just awesome what God's done here. Now, my wife and I were down on this end, and Pastor Brian, his wife there, and I, were you in the middle somewhere? Yeah, somewhere. And so different needs are represented by the people that came down here. For many of you, this I want to address this to primarily you gentlemen, especially those of you that came. There's a verse of scripture in Deuteronomy where the Lord's speaking to the really the nation of Israel. And uh, in verse 18 it says, But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that gives thee, the King James, or gives you the power or the ability, really is a better word, to get wealth so that he may establish his covenant with you. And I want to use this verse of scripture to address Many of you came up, you know, for addictions. Some of you are talking about your marriage, married life, and different needs that you have in your life. And I want to emphasize this because uh, so many times when we are, when we have a need in our life, we're, we're wanting God to do something. It may be to take it away or no longer have to deal with it and that type of thing. And what I want to tell you, and, and this would make application for all of you, whatever the need is, when he said, it is he who gives you the ability or the power to 
get whatever you need. In the case tonight, we're talking about these personal needs. And what I want to emphasize to you is, is you came down here and you say, this is my need, Lord, this is what I want. And in that prayer, he said, I am giving you my ability to do what you need to do. So I want you to say this with me, the whole crowd. I have his ability. It isn't something you're going to get. It's something you have right now. That's why Pastor Joel was declaring, let's celebrate, let's rejoice. It's mine because he has given it to me. Now, why is that important? Because you may be tempted, you may be in a situation where you have to deal with it, and you come back and you say, no, 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 no. He's given me his, I have his ability to overcome, to withstand, to endure, to take the next step, whatever. Does that make sense to you? Because what's important is for you to understand the devil will try to keep you in a place where you're trying to get something that's already yours. And you know it not because you feel like it, not because you're being tempted, not because of whatever influences there are. It's because you believe that tonight when we prayed, he gave you his ability. Say it again. I have his ability. I mean, his ability has been given to you for whatever it is that you came with a need for tonight. So praise God, receive it, take it, don't let go of it. Amen, amen, amen. I was, it's been such a joy, honestly, for me to be here. Uh, my first time in Iowa and Nebraska. I was thinking about that too. So, uh, but I won't forget it. And i uh, just so thankful pastors and the invitation to come to this church and uh, to be here. Uh, truly, I've had such a wonderful time with you and um, just may the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine brightly upon you, give you peace and fill your life with love. And so thankful for our worship team. Uh, can we give it up for the worship team? And just such a wonderful, wonderful spirit. Uh, each one of you are just, you know, unique in your giftings and anointing and um, love all those things. And can I pray for you too real quick? Just, would that be okay? <laughs> Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus.
gifts of a righteous woman are being taken. I just sense nations. I don't know if that bears witness with you at all, but something for the nations. And Father, I just thank you. Every place that she goes, she takes the fragrance of your presence and the greatness of your name. Whether it's to a local town around here or a nation on the side of the earth, that Father, you were lining things up for the anointing of the Lord Jesus to flow through her. Oh, the places you will go and the things that you will do for the anointing of God is upon you. good I mean it's just I, I just am so thankful you know we uh, for weeks as a staff and our prayer team we prayed for this we prayed for just people and, and, and lives and I believe that, that God absolutely just followed through on his word he, he came through in those in those in answered prayer you know and uh, and I'm just so grateful I know that it's a turning point for us, as he said, in our lives. And I just encourage you guys all as we leave, you know, to just continue in that. Remember what, how it is that God spoke. It might have been through Pastor Joel. It might have been through Pastor John. It might have been through Pastor Mike. But continue to walk that out, what it is that, that you receive. Don't let it go. Hold it tight. And, and, and work with it and, and take those steps and walk in what it is that he, he has for you. Amen? And we're going to do it all together. Amen. Let's, let's give it up for Pastor Joel. What a blessing you are. I mean to tell you. So grateful. So thankful for coming. Taking time away from family. And, uh, and so you'll see him again. I can assure you of that.